both sides claiming polling irregularities. Supreme Court votes to extend the voting hours in areas where polls were late in opening earlier today. Three-alarm fire hit ship repair yard on Staten Island. Governor Rockefeller appoints special prosecutor to handle investigation and prosecution of corruption in New York City's police and criminal justice system. That's the latest from the WR Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York, 710 on your dial. Stay tuned now for Gene Shepard. Chief has spoken. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. Hey, listen, uh, tonight's uh, effort, uh, I'm afraid. Uh, let's just check here some of this stuff here. Hello, one, two, three, four. Hello, test. One, two, three, four. That's good. Hello, test. One, two, three, four. Now, tonight's effort, uh, I'm afraid, has uh, elements of bad taste to it. And uh, before we get underway tonight, I would like to uh, just give you that disclaimer that uh, to those of you who are sensitive, <laughs> it is a fact that almost all of my listeners are extremely sensitive people. And, uh, you know, they're totally related to the reality of the time. And uh, they're completely involved with the uh, basic umbilical cord of man as he clings to the eternal tree of life, uh, hoping that one day it's all going to work out. So let's sing about that. <laughs> Hooray for me and you. Hooray for us, the sensitive, the wonderful people of Ain't it good to be one of the great big good guys? 
Just think you could have been born Archie, Archie Funker You could have been born some really rotten slob But instead you are this lovely creature This wonderful person with great sensitivity Who knows right and wrong Who lives a pure life Who thinks only, only wonderful, clean thoughts Oh, hooray, hooray for you and me We're two of the good guys in this rotten world Hooray for us, hooray for us, hooray for us, these sensitive ones. All together, sing it. Hooray, 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 hooray. Hooray, 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 hooray for me. For you. You see, you put in you there for you there. Oh, Charlie, Oprah is a wonderful person and he's great for everybody who know him. Ain't many like us in the world. Yeah. We are the queen of the crop. We're the best thing the world has got. Yes, we're the wonderful people, you and me. All together now, sing it. Hooray for me, yeah, me. Hooray for, hooray for beautiful you. Yeah, you're one of the great big beautiful people. One of the ones that make it all worthwhile. We're the pinnacle of mankind's evolution, folks. So after all, we've got to stick together, you and me. There ain't many of us, us deep thinkers, us sensitive people, those who know right from wrong. And we are mankind's hope. In the end, hooray, 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 hooray for us, us, us. U.S. spells the United States of America. It also spells us, us, you and me. Hooray, 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 hooray for us. We never think no dirty, dirty thoughts. No, you and I are pure. We're clean as a driven snow. Hooray, hooray for us, ba, 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 ba. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, thank God I was born me. I could have been born somebody else. I could have been born Archie Bunker. Just think who I could have been born. But look at how lucky I was. I was born me, me, me. Oh, good old beautiful me. I think I am superb, a wonderful, wonderful person. Hooray, hooray for me, 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 me. Yeah. What a sickening, sad world it would be without us. We bring so much joy, so much life, so much truth and beauty to existence. All the others owe a debt to you and you and me, because we make it all worthwhile. Wild! Oh, play it, Sam, again, again. Yeah. Oh, that was real nice. Did you like that? Okay, Don, it's all right. Fine. They don't teach you that in announcing school. <laughs> oh, there's a lot they don't teach you. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot nobody teaches you. Can you imagine what it would be like 
If they taught you in school the stuff you got to know to get by in life. I've often thought of, uh, you know, teaching a class somewhere. You know, some rotten little fourth-rate uh, discredited college someplace. You know, where all the uh, <laughs> all the guys get thrown out of all the other schools finally wind up. And uh, teach this class there, you know, in this rotten little classroom. We'd have... We teach the class with the shades drawn, and we'd have all these ashtrays around, and you know, on the desks instead of inkwells, we'd have ashtrays from uh, rotten, crummy, sleazy Jersey bars. You know, the kind of ashtrays that say uh, the Hi Hat Club, Passaic. You know, a great little place like that, the Kit Kat Club. You know, Clutch, Mississippi. Great little clubs like that. And uh, we'd we'd uh, we'd do nothing but for one hour. See, the class would only be available to the lower one quarter of the class. You'd have to demonstrate your inability to cope to get in this class. You'd have to be having about a D minus average, you know, just barely staying in school but not making it. And uh, we would have this little class, and we'd smoke. And the air would be heavy with blue smoke, and we'd have lessons in how to drink Jim Beam neat. You know, <laughs> sort of mixing it up with all the cherry juice and stuff. I mean, you know, yeah, drink it the way real people drink it, you know, just a little bit on the rocks there. And uh, how to toss it off with a look of savoir-faire. And uh, how to keep your uh, checking account straight. You know, all this kind of stuff that you got to have in life. Actually, what we'd have to do is have a class on how to get a checking account. A lot of people in that department don't even have any luck doing that. It would be a great class. I'd call it How the Hell Things Really Are. And uh, <laughs> I'd come in every day, you know, <laughs> after another bout with life. But, uh, you know, uh, that, that that may sound like a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a trivial thing. But is it really trivial, friends, really? What is important in our life? That's hard to know. I'm trying to figure it out myself. You know, it's taken a, a long time. I haven't come to any conclusion yet. I'll report, however, when I finally discover it. I'll report. That's why I never get really too excited about politics. Everybody else seems to. But I never really do. Because it seems like every all the time there's a constant battle going on between the good guys and the bad guys. Or at least, you know, if you, if you read all the slogans, that's the way it that comes out. And the good guys are always fighting to roust out the bad guys. And, uh, of course, when they get in... Four years from now, it'll be the good guys trying to roust out the bad guys, who will, of course, be in. And uh, <laughs> so after a certain... You know, you get kind of... To me, you get kind of... It gets to be a boring merry-go-round, frankly. I, You know, I find it kind of boring after a while. And uh, then, I, then I start uh, contemplating things which really have some basic uh, lasting worth. Like, uh, like the sight of a Jersey sunset filtered through eight-year-old bourbon. You know, that's uh, that's beauty. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the truth. And uh, it can't be changed by the good guys or the bad guys. They're both in the same department there, you know. And uh, the sense of a fantastic chick. When you see a girl walk down the street, man, you know what I mean? Down, you know, see something that, I mean, that, that really is extraordinary. You know, that kind of make your mind cloud up. That, that, that has nothing to do with politics. <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing to do with trouble, nothing. It's just a real thing. You know, I've never been able to associate the real thing with a with a, a very popular soft drink that comes in aluminum cans. It's never been my real thing, a real thing, as Merle Haggard would say. 
Yep, I got a little real, real give me a little of real thing there. When, when, if you ever walked into a bar, the other side of uh, the Rocky Mountains, and you asked for the real thing, I can guarantee you, you would not get the drink that a generation has selected. No way. If you walked into a bar and said, give me some real thing, well, you'd have five of them, and you'd know what they're talking about. And uh, it would be that. Yeah, <laughs> it would really be that. Uh, do you have one of our lovely little commercials in there? No, nothing makes modern man feel more secure than the sound of a commercial jangling in his ears. He knows he's home. We are actually here at Acme. <laughs> okay, okay, but remember, if anyone asks, we're just looking, just looking around. But, Alan, Acme's gone discount. I know Acme's gone discount. I've seen their commercials there, but I just want to check it out for myself. Okay, well, see the price on the soup? Mm-hmm, that's cheap, all right. You bet it is. But something's got to be wrong. Oh, what now, Alan? I don't know. It's so clean here, and they have so much to choose from. Right. I'll bet you they even have rutabagas. Well, I don't care about rutabagas. I care about rutabagas. I like them. Look, look at all the different sizes on everything. That's terrific. I know, honey. That's what makes Acme's discount so special. Fine. Okay. Come on. Let's go. Why? Don't you want to shop? Sure I want to shop, but first I want to rent a truck so we can really load up. Oh, honey, you really like it here. I think so. (laughs) Get the truck. You don't mind if I sing along with this uh, wonderful group here that are out there, uh, Hustings, uh, out there in the uh, grape fields, stamping on the grapes. Yes. Uh, you know what I'd like to have right now? A Twitty Burger. This is uh, W.O.R. New York. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's bad news. <laughs> uh, while we're on the subject of bad news, uh, baby, uh, that less chumps is live, and you have not given me... Oh, yes, you have. I have a little commercial thing here for you here. And uh, I, I, this is kind of embarrassing, the way this spot is written. I, I hope they do something about it. It says on the top, how many of you know that, that many commercials come to the people who deliver the commercials with little instructions on the top of them on how to do it? In other words, it'll say on the top, read in angry, concerned voice. Well, uh, this one starts, it says, read slowly, romantically. <laughs> yes. All right, uh, I'll do. I'll try that. I'll, I'll show you what happens when I do it. See, oh, there you are, at an intimate table, graced by candlelight. The sounds of strolling musicians create a mellow mood, as you enjoy a sumptuous dinner prepared in the continental style. And then there's a little note that says, "Louder and a little faster. Drop romantic accent." No, you're not in the Parisian cafe, but in the delightful Les Champs restaurant right here in the heart of... It says, drop the accent. I'm going to read it the way Archie would read it. But in a delightful Les Champs restaurant right in the heart of Manhattan on East 40th Street between Park and Madison. Yes, if you live anywhere in the metropolitan Manhattan, their free limousine will pick you up at your home. If you're going to the theater, they'll drive you there after dinner. They really want your business. If you prefer to bring your own car, there's free valet parking. That's valet parking. I'm sorry. For reservations, call LE2-6566. That's LE2-6566. Then the note says, return to romantic concept. They are closed Saturday and Sunday during the months of August. But since this is not the month of August, it has nothing to do with us. That is a damned irrelevant. 
La da 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 tee tee tee. That's a transition note. That's a blackout. La da da da. I'm getting your mind off uh, Le Chomps. La da da tee tee. Now through September 23rd, General Tires having a great sale on original equipment tires. Hit you when you weren't way. <laughs> I caught you. The famous celebrated Jumbo 780. Oh, it's a beautiful tire. The Jumbo 780 is so round and fat that it's a very sexy tire. It's General's wide glass belted polyester cord tire that comes on in this new 1973 cars. Now you get two of these beautiful, fat, round, cuddly tires for only $39.95, size A78-13, tubeless black wall, plus one seventy-eight federal excise tax per tire. So you you call them up. Get down there and see them at uh, your General Tire headquarters. Let's see, in Newark, ask for Ben Robinson at General Tire Service, 857 Freelinghuizen Avenue. In White Plains, see Mike Salvati at General Tire Service. Big Mike, they call him. 376 Terrytown Road. That's because he's only two and a half feet tall. Well, you know how they do this. They always call guys tiny that, you know, weigh 700 pounds. Big Mike, hey, be careful. You, He's liable to hide under your fender when you come in there, so watch out for him. People keep running over him. Da, 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 dee, 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 dee. I told you there would be elements of bad taste in tonight's program, and I am not about to... Hello, test. You know, it's funny. And we sit here, you know, you say, uh, I'm looking for something here, so just hold on. Looking for something. Just hold. Oh, yeah, listen. All right, you want to hear elements of bad taste? Have you ever sat in a, in a, uh, in a, in a subway or something, and there's some guy sitting next to you, or he's across the aisle from you, and he's reading this paper in this totally incomprehensible language? Have you ever, you know, I mean, you see the kind of little lines, little squibbly up spips lines all over, you know? And uh, and he sits there and he reads and he, he looks mad or he chuckles or he uh, he underlines something or he folds the paper up and he looks real careful at it and then he, he looks at a notebook or something in his pocket and you wonder, what the hell is in these foreign papers, <laughs> these, these mysterious papers? Well, I, since I have traveled all around the world, you know, uh, every place I go, I always buy the local newspaper, which, of course, is totally incomprehensible to me. I don't know whether you've ever tried to read an Iranian newspaper in Tehran. It's a fantastic, uh, you know, you, you, even the writing looks wild, you know. So I'll sit in this bar and I'll read the Serenian newspaper and look like a native. And uh, I'll sit there. And, of course, what I'm reading is, is a, you know, some terrible story about the, some guy's cu- cut up his wife with, uh, with an axe, you know, chopped her up into pieces and fed her into the, uh, the, 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 the disposal unit. And I'm sitting there laughing. Uh, <laughs> well, the other day, listen to this story. If you want to hear... One of the most sickening stories you have heard, ever heard in your life. There are certain things that appear in foreign newspapers that simply do not appear in American newspapers. Now, I don't think it has anything to do with censorship. I just think that some things happen in other countries that don't happen in our country. <laughs> it's a fact. Like the time I was in uh, Lagos, and I read about this guy. I was reading the Lagos paper, see? And the first day I got there, I pick up the paper, and I'm sitting, and I'm having uh, breakfast, and the paper says that they had just had a big trial of a guy who was uh, on trial because uh, he was told by a local witch doctor that to get rid of his problem, he's going to have to bury his mother-in-law out in the backyard, alive. See, so see, he had some problem with hives or something, you know, and, and uh, the witch doctor decided it was because his mother-in-law was putting a curse on him or something. So, no, this actually happened. I'm not inventing this. So he went out in the backyard. He took his mother-in-law out in the backyard. He was going to show her the way that the, the chickpeas were growing, according to the, uh, the comp. They says he took her out on the pretext of showing her the chickpeas. 
And instead, he had cut this hole in the ground. See, it was about nine feet deep. He quickly pushed her in the hole, covered it up, and uh, <laughs> patted the earth down around it, and uh, put some, planted some more chickpeas on the top, came back in the house, sat down, and turned on a TV set. And immediately his hive started to go away. Well, unfortunately, his mother-in-law had uh, friends who came around to ask what happened to her. And he said, well, she's out there taking care of the chickpeas now. And uh, eventually, of course, he... <laughs> I don't want to bore you with the story, but it's just the kind of thing you don't read about happening in Plainfield often, you know? And I'm not making any comment on Lagos. I'm just saying things, different things happen in different places in the world. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm sitting there you know, the other day, and I'm reading... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sitting in this in this uh, place where the guy is about to clean my shoes. You know, there's a shoe shining parlor, and they had all these papers piled up. And uh, I'm picking up the paper, and the only one that was available. Everybody else has got the news. They've got the, uh, you know, the Times. I've never seen the New York Times in a shoe shine parlor. Now that may be significant, but I have never seen it. I have never seen the magazine newer than eight months old in a shoe shine parlor. I don't know where. That's uh, I don't know where they get these collector items. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, how they did. The other day I sat for over half an hour while I was waiting to get my shoes shined, reading a 1937 National Geographic. And uh, they were talking about taking a tour through Bavaria with the Hitler Youth and how nice it was, you know, the Hitler Jugend. <laughs> yeah, yeah there was a, our, our group leader was dressed in such a nice, clean uniform. And I was, I was very interested in that. I, I, at, at first, I didn't know it was 1937. I kept reading it and said, well, you know, things haven't changed much. They're back again. And uh, by God, uh, you know, after, after reading a while, and then I, I got in the back, see, and they had an ad for 1937 uh, Graham Page. I knew something was wrong. I mean, I knew either I'd gone back in a time machine again, or they slipped another collector's item on me at the old uh, the old shoeshine parlor. So uh, I, I was reading that paper there one day, and, and uh, I, I dug around among the papers there. See, women don't have these problems. I, I don't... Uh, I don't know how many women go to shoeshine parlors uh, during a day. Do you see many down at all? Never, hardly. And it's a kind of an interesting thing, because you, you, you're given one of those problems when you go in to get your shoes shined. Uh, well, do you talk to the guy that's shining your shoes? Uh, well, now, wait a minute. Don't say no like that, because uh, I, I, find, I find it difficult not to. When somebody's down there got a hole in my toes... Somehow you, you feel like you ought to say something to them. <laughs> you don't just completely ignore it. It's like, uh, you remember back in the days when guys used to go to barber shops back in those days? Well, that was a big problem then. You know, guys are on there tickling your ears and he's talking to you. And, and you have to eventually say something when somebody's back there, you know. Uh, and wait till the first barber says, ring around the collar, you know. Uh, <laughs> but that's embarrassed more than one guy. <laughs> What's the matter with me tonight? It's a sickening show. I, it, it really is bad taste, and I want to apologize before we go any further. It's because I'm feeling good. You know, my cold is gone, and the shepherd's full of the uh, old you-know-what. You know, he's full of uh, something and vinegar. So I'm going to tip my tongue. I, I remember that phrase. used to use it in the Army a lot. And uh, I just got through celebrating uh, uh, one of the great weeks that the old guys in the Army, yeah, guys that have been in the Army, celebrate together. And uh, it's, uh, I, it, again, I'm sorry about my memory at times it has Freudian blocks, but uh, or at least some kind of blocks. I don't know what they are. Woody Allen blocks. I don't know what they are. Uh, but uh, whatever it is. By the way, I saw a great piece of graffiti. And it says, help stamp out Woody Allen. I saw it down there <laughs> at uh, <laughs> 23rd Street. <laughs> have, have, you ever, have you ever had the vague feeling that Woody Allen 
uh, cleverly disguises himself occasionally and calls himself Eric Siegel. Have you ever had that feeling? Uh, <laughs> talk about schlockmeisters. But uh, <laughs> I tell you, I've always thought that Eric Siegel is, is, uh, is, is the male answer to Rona Jaffe. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, you know, the, either that or the male answer to Helen Gurley Brown. So, you know, six of one half to the other. You, you pick them up, you, you know, you lay them down, and you wait and hope for the best. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I would like to point out that uh, uh, one of the problems that men have to face, of course, is this continual problem of uh, what you do when uh, a guy's, uh, you know, clipping around by your ears. I don't know what, what the women do. Women go to hairdressers. Do they talk to the guy when he's working on you? Of course, uh, Mr. Dickey loves to talk to you, right? Oh, my God, these bangs are just wonderful, dear. Yes, I imagine that's exciting. Although, Mr. Tony never talks to me that way when I get my hair fixed. Although, I imagine there are... That has changed. That has changed. I, uh, the other day, uh, I went into a barber shop to get... Uh, once in a while, when you really want to feel Rococo, you know, a 19th century... I went into this bar, this uh, barber shop. Uh, it's, uh, it used to be called, it used to be called barber shop. You know, just barber shop. And they had all these uh, uh, fly-specked uh, playboys in there, you know, and all that stuff. But now it's called Mr. Anthony's. It's a whole different ball game. And I went into Mr. Anthony's the other day. The only thing you ever go into those places for, you don't go in to get haircuts anymore. You go in to get the stylized the things done. Uh, and I went in to have my sideburns sculptured. That's what I did. Uh, they sculpted them there. They had a little sign. It's a sideburn sculpted here. España, Espanol. Habla. So I go in there. <laughs> so I go in. I sit down. I squat down. And Mr. Mr. Anthony's running around. And he's got this fuchsia-colored uh, uh, apron on. And, uh, you know, the kind that comes all the way down. It's a fuchsia-colored. Well, it really looks like is a fuchsia-colored dentist jacket. It's a very elegant one. There's a little gold piping on it. And he says, where have you been? And I was really surprised because I remember when his name was Tony Galano. Tough old Tony, you know, and he used to chew tobacco and spit and go out to Belmont every Wednesday. But now he's become Mr. Anthony. And it's a whole different ball game. He's got this great big fright wig he wears and all, and he's got these beautiful pearl-handled clippers. He used to have, you know, ordinary scissors. Now they're pearl-handled and it's real kind of nice. He carries them in an alligator skin case. And he comes over to me and says, Oh, my God, it's so wonderful to see you. And I said, Hi, Tony. How things going out at Belmont? He says, oh, uh, well, uh, I don't go to Belmont any longer. Although, uh, however, uh, we've been having a lot of fun down on, uh, down on Greenwich. Uh, have you gone to that wonderful new Palato place that's open? I said, what's that? And I knew that Tony had a new ball game. So we, I, I, you know, I sat down with Tony. And he put a, a fuchsia-colored thing around me and began to sculpt my hair. Well, now, I don't know... You know, he's sculpting my sideburns. You don't go in to get your hair sculpted. You get, you know, various parts of your head sculpted. Uh, it's a whole new thing, as I said. So I said, the, the sideburns, Tony, sculpt, please. He said, oh, my God, they're wonderful. Well, that's not the old Tony I knew. And uh, he uh, and he began to whisper in my ear. You know, at first I didn't know what he was saying. He says, oh, my God, these are wonderful. Just fine. Do you mind if I run my pinkies through them? I said, no, Tony, you go right ahead. How much is this costing me? Well, he didn't say anything. It was a whiff of uh, lavender perfume. And I noticed he had a, he had a handwritten a scroll up on the mirror of the prices. And I noticed uh, that sculpting, and by the way, he left the E in the sculpting, which gave it a little kind of a midi, medieval quality to it, the old English type. It's a sculpting, 750. That was a 12-minute sculpt job, seven and a half. Of course, you, you, you can't leave a place like that after Tony kisses you goodbye. 
without uh, giving them at least a two and a half dollar tip, at least. So you know, I laid a tenner on him, and uh, and as, as I'm going out, and Tony says, "Come back soon, just come back, uh, just come back soon." But you know, you keep the music up and just hit it again. That's it. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Didn't you tell him? No, no. Whenever I use a piece of music down, I just keep it up in case of emergency. Right. Okay. Now, uh, the, the, the only thing that I wanted to bring out tonight, since tonight is called Bad Taste Night on the show, is uh, I had a thing here. Yes, uh, I, I, I would like to salute the, the Bad Taste uh, Slob Art uh, creation of this week. Do you mind? Yeah, as you know, on the show, we, we continually uh, attempt to... Uh, we continually attempt to... Uh, to document the bad taste slobism of our time. And uh, I wish I had something romantic. Lee, hey, listen to me, honey. Would you go into the next room there and see if they've got any of that uh, romantic glop that John Gambling uses in the morning, like, uh, you know, love is a many splendor thing. You know, that kind of real groovy stuff. You know, that stuff that they squeeze out of a plastic tube. Right? The Burt Bacharach syndrome. Love is a many splendor thing. <laughs> But uh, I, uh, w- while she's in there doing that, I would like to tell you about this piece that I read in the paper here. Now I, I'm sitting in this, uh, in this, uh, in this. That's all right. You, you hold it up. I'll give you a cue down so you don't start it. You get plenty of uh, vocal uh, warning before I lay it on you. Uh, I, I uh, want you to listen to this news story. Listen carefully. I am sitting in the shoeshine pharmacy, and I'm and I'm trying to pretend like I'm reading a Spanish newspaper from Puerto Rico. Well, once in a while, a word comes out, you know, and you can get it. You know, like, uh, Yankees. And you know, and it says, Yankees, uh, Lossos, 10 to 6. Well, you know, that's all right, that's all right. I, 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 I excuse you. Uh, you know that you're reading about the Yankees, right? Uh, or you read, uh, uh, Metzanos, Lossos Agenos. Well, you know that they've dropped another one. And there's a picture of Yogi Berra looking real mad at Ed Cranepool. Okay? Well, I, I'm trying to figure out what this piece means. See, it says, Tanto la malastaron las malidos del gato que si lo camillo vivo. Well, now, that's a pretty exciting piece of news. And I, that's all right. I, I, I uh, yeah, bring it on. All right. Thank you, Nick. That's very good. I knew you'd come through. So I'm, I'm reading the next part. And it says, uh, <laughs> now, all right, you just put it on. I'll use it later. Just, you just cue it up in there. And I'm reading this piece uh, uh, in the paper. Now, come on, Lee. Don't get all excited in there. I want you to listen to this because guys are going to be writing angry letters about it. And you're going to say, what was that? And I'll say, well, you heard it. So I don't have time to listen. I'm also busy in there. So listen to this now. And the piece goes, uh, Maya Gaze, AP. So you presume that Maya Gaze must be the place where it come from, right? Maya Gaze, AP. And it says, Un ambiguo no soporto el malido... Tell un gato and horas de la noche y según en policia. Oh, the cops are involved. Well, I knew the cops had something to do with that, so I'm sitting there trying to read, you know, what happened to cops. And it down the bottom it says intervene. Uh, it says, uh, it's interviewissimo. El capitos el policio. Nas das moridas. So I says, hey, what the hell is all this? So sitting next to me is a, is a guy who's a real... You know, he's a, he's a real Spanish-speaking native, and he, he's reading the paper, and uh, he's got one, too. So I finally, I'm, I'm looking at this piece, and he looks over at me, 
and he sees I'm reading the uh, you know the Spanish speaking paper, and he says, "Ah, oh, hombre, uh, las cosquetetos un modito, eh?" <laughs> and I said, "What was that?" <laughs> he says, "No, speaking of Spanish." I said, "No." I said, I speak uh, bad English. He said, ah, see, me too. So uh, at that point, see, in New York, we are working out. This is one great thing about New York. This is truly a democratic city, and it's groovy for that reason. We are working out a new language. It's a new language that is spoken by all New Yorkers. It's not really English. You know that. It's not Spanish. It's not the Yiddish. It's got the elements of all. So when you holler at a, at a you know at a Puerto Rican native, you holler to him, uh, "El uh, El," uh, uh, you, you're searching for the word. See, so you, you say, "El Utspa." He laughs. <laughs> yeah, Utspa. He said, "Well, well, okay." You have combined Spanish and Yiddish. El Utspa. Now you've mispronounced both, but that's the point of this new language. It uh, it is it has its own pronunciation. See, uh, right. Uh, so so I uh, we we speak on this level. See, I said, "So uh, what the porqué?" He says, oh, what the, was it? he starts to read the piece, and he says, uh, oh, I see. He says, oh, funny, funny piece, us. I said, hey, what? what's happening? He said, happened in Malagas. I said, where is that? Puerto Rico. And I said, well, what is? He says, oh, I read to you, uh, Malagas, Puerto Rico, AP. An individual cannot take uh, the cat's meows. You know the word meow? I said, yeah, cat, cat go meow. He said, oh, yeah, <laughs> very good. An individual couldn't take a cat meow at night any longer. And according to police, he got up in a rageous. You know what is it, uh, furioso, angry? Huh? I said, yes, angry. He got up in a rage, and he ate the cat alive. I said, he what? He said, ate the cat. He said, according to police, he ate the cat. According to police report, uh, this uh, incident occurred in Malagas, and the individual was taken to East Medical Center where he is being treated for eating cat. According to uh, police, uh, police house witness, the man had seen, had been complaining, according to friends, for quite a while, and we quote, he said, I do not wish to say, the damn a cat. Uh, oh, you know what the word, damn, damn, uh, damn. I said, yes, damn, not like, uh, damn police. He said, yes, yes, damn, of course so. Uh, for quite a while, damn cat didn't let him sleep. Uh, last night, he let the cat in the house, and then he grabbed it. He grabbed cat when it come in house and bang it on the wall and begin biting and eating cat in spite of intervention by members of family who could not stop him. The man continued to eat the cat and all was left of the cat is his tail and head. Oh, I said, he did not eat the tail. He said, no, no, he did not like tail. I said, oh. He said, no, he did not eat head. He said, well, it says here he did not have time enough to eat head. They stopped him by then. I said, oh, very good, very good. And then it was my turn to get my shoes shined and, uh... I went up and got my shoes shined. I thought I... <laughs> well, now, can I, read the, can I read the story to you? i got it translated. You want to hear this story in its entirety? It's a fantastic story. It says, An individual could not take the cat's meows at night any longer. And according to police, he got up in a rage and ate the cat alive. According to a police report, this incident occurred in Malagas, where the individual was taken to the East Medical Center where he is being treated for eating a cat. According to... <laughs> I mean, how do you treat a guy for eating a cat? <laughs> what do you get from that? According to the police witnesses, the man had been complaining for quite a while that, quote, a damn cat did not let him sleep. Last night, he left the cat in the house there, and he then grabbed it and banged it on the wall. This is the exact translation. He just banged it on the wall. 
and began biting and eating the cat in spite of intervention by some members of his family. The man continued to eat the cat, and all that was left of the cat is his tail and head. Now, 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 there you go, friends. Now, I just, just wanted to point out that man is basically a carnivore. Let's face it. Uh, there have been many complaints by vegetarians on this score for centuries who pretended that man was born to eat carrots, that man was born to eat lettuce. He was to spend his days quietly nibbling on wheat germ. Whereas, actually, there are very few things uh, anywhere in the world that excite a man more, and I'm talking about man in the mankind sense, that incite members of the human race more than a thick, two-inch, sizzling, four-and-a-half-pound steak. <laughs> right? Well, now you could pretend that you could pretend that it does not affect you, that you do not buy this. But uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, zoological uh, experts will say to you that man was designed mo far more to be a carnivore than he was ever designed to be a herbivore. You know what is it, a herbivore? Well, yeah, yeah, herbivore. Where did the herbivores ever get? I mean, look at the cows. I mean, have you ever seen a cow yet write a good play? Right. Never. Have you ever seen a rabbit yet? A rabbit just once. Paint a, even, a, even, a, even a mediocre painting, right? Never. Right. Have you ever seen a horse sit down and write a decent sonata? Or even play the guitar, which any slob can do. I mean, you give a guy a guitar and 12 minutes later he's playing a G minor chord. You try that on a horse. No way. In fact, I, I, uh, I, I'm serious. I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but I, I know a guy who, who spent the better part of his life trying to teach a Doberman pincer to answer the telephone. Now, uh, the way he went about it was this way. He figured that the, that the dog, uh, the dog did this automatically. <laughs> What's the matter with you guys in that? You're supposed to be serious. <laughs> the way he went about, <laughs> the way he went about it was this. Now, wait a minute. Don't laugh. And, and he actually succeeded in doing it, so don't don't put it down. I mean, it worked. He lost quite a few telephones in the process, but it, <laughs> he also <laughs> he lost one finger once, too, when, when, by the way, the dog beat him to the phone. But uh, <laughs> if you know anything about Doberman pincers, they could be mean mothers, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, they're tough. But uh, nevertheless, he had this Doberman, see, and named Al, a big one. And, uh, he, of course, uh, he might have been a little old. Actually, he was about six years old. And uh, set in his ways, as they say about dogs. You know, he he uh, he knew what he liked, and uh, what he liked. Uh, the only hobby that Al had that we could tell. Uh, this dog lived in Cincinnati. In case you're interested, where he lived. The only hobby that Al had. Hi, Al. How are you? I'm talking about a Doberman pincer that was taught to, to answer the phone. And uh, his name was Al. Lived in Cincinnati. And I'm serious. The only hobby that Al had that we knew was about once a week. He would run out of the house when they let him out. He'd run out of the house and bite somebody on the calf which is the only hobby he had. He didn't really, you know, draw blood badly. He'd just bite, uh, just keep his teeth in, you know how you do. <laughs> and so, so but my friend named George, in case you're interested, his name was Palmer, George Palmer, he got this idea one day because whenever his phone would ring in his house, Al, who would be in the kitchen usually, waiting for somebody to open the refrigerator, Al used to sit in front of the refrigerator by the hour and just look at it. And, yeah, he knew what was in there, see, and he would wait. At the <laughs> Listen, one time, uh, one time they were gone a day, and they left Al home alone, and he tore the door right off the thing and ripped the freezer compartment right out to get at some frozen lamb chops. You know, he really went at it. 
uh, but nevertheless, Al was a, you know, he's a good dog. Uh, he, his heart was in his right place, even though he had a mind about the size of a, you know, eggshell. Nevertheless, you know, a little pea brain. So Al was sitting there one day, and uh, my friend George is laying in the, in the living room. Uh, he, he always slept like Andy Cap. Have you ever seen Andy Cap in the, in the, you know how Andy Cap sleeps with his feet sticking out in the back there? Well, George w- would do this, see? George is one of those guys, the minute he'd get in the house, he'd fall flat on the couch with his feet sticking out in the back, and he'd lay there sucking on a can of a, of a beer that they made in Cincinnati called Hudipole. Do you ever hear Hudipole beer? Well, it's like every other beer, you know. And, and he would open a can of Hudipole beer, fall flat on the couch there, and suck the beer out of the side. He, he learned to drink it sideways, which is something Andy Cap hasn't done yet. Drink beer while you're napping. So uh, he's laying there, see, with his feet... And it, it, sure enough, every time he would get settled down there, and he's on his second beer, and uh, he's you know he's beginning to feel it, uh, you know everything's getting real cool there, and he's beginning to snooze off. All of a sudden, his phone would go ah, and a very angry phone. Ah. Well, Al was sitting out in the, in the kitchen, and Al would go, ah, 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 ah. you know how dogs do; they get this funny way of talking. So Al would start yelling like that. Well, George laying there after his third Utapol one day, and uh, hearing the phone ring, and uh, hearing Al bark. He got this idea, and uh, he, he, the idea was simply this, that if, if the phone excited Al, why not teach Al to come in and take the phone off the hook? Now, get this. Come in when the phone rings, take the phone off the hook, bark on the phone, replace it. Then he would, th- see, therefore, he would have a living telephone answering service. That, 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 that Al would w- inform all of his friends when he was not home. See, whenever Al answers the phone, I'm not home. Uh, the, you know, that kind of thing. Well, he worked on this for over six months. I mean, day after day after day. Yeah, okay, very good. Day after day, Al and George would work together. And you know how he got him to do it? Al had, Al had an absolute, Al absolutely flipped. He loved, he loved liver-flavored Alpo. He loved it. So what he did, he would put liver-flavored Alpo, he'd smear liver-flavored Alpo on the phone handle. And, uh, <laughs> and so Al began to associate the phone, you know, with Alpo, liver-flavored Alpo, see? And so, <laughs> so every time the phone would ring, he would run, Al, Al would wait, see, and George would go over and put liver on it. At which point, see, he would only do it when it rang. At which point, uh, George, you know, would jump back, and Al would come over and lick the Alpo off of the phone. Well, he, he finally got to the point where he would pick it up and lick it on the bottom. See, now he's picking it up. He got it now. So the phone would ring. He would run over and he would bite that, you know, grab at the phone and he would lick the elbow off. Now he has to get up to bark. That was not easy. Now, uh, <laughs> you know how he got him to bark on the phone? Well, you know that 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 uh, that uh, funny sound that the phone makes after you pick it up and it makes a couple of little <clears throat> it keeps ringing and then it stops. You ever heard that? Well, he trained Al to bark at that sound, and he had it going good, except for one basic flaw. And it was fantastic to see Al answer the phone. You know what he used to do? He would send people out to the corner. Everybody's at a party, see? Send people out to the corner to to call up his phone. And Al was sitting in the kitchen watching the icebox, you know? And the phone would ring, and Al would jump up and <laughs> he'd run in like mad. He'd grab the phone, and he would he would start looking at it, and he would go <laughs> into the phone, and then put it back up on the on the cradle and hang it up. It worked beautifully. People used to come for miles around 
to come and watch Al, the Doberman Pinscher, answer George Palmer's telephone. <laughs> However, and I hate to I hate to tell you this, there was one fatal flaw. One fatal flaw. Which, by the way, ultimately almost cost George his left leg. It uh, cost George over $250 that he had to pay to the telephone company. His wife left him for three months as a result of this, which incidentally led to a divorce. Which, by the way, was good for George because he ultimately married a movie star and is now living in Hollywood on the fat of the land. He's doing good. But that, nevertheless, there was one fatal flaw. And we will allow that mystery to cook in your head. What was the fatal flaw? What happened? Go ahead. I'm not going to give you any more clues. You've had all the clues. You know how how you know how uh, Doberman Pinschers act. Use your intuitive sense of logic. Sherlock Holmes would have got it in a second. Boo! That's right, boo. But I'm going to leave it just like that. See, I told you the show would bug it. <laughs> Hooray for me, hooray, hooray, hooray for me. And that concludes tonight's salute to Howard Cosell. And Muhammad Ali. Goodbye, gang. <laughs> yeah. The news in detail on the hour over WR New York, 710 on your dial, Lester Smith reporting. A longer wait is in store to find out who's won the second Democratic primary between incumbent Congressman John Rooney and challenger Alan Lowenstein in Brooklyn's 14th Congressional District. A federal court judge has ordered all of Brooklyn's congressional districts in the 14th in the polling places to stay open for the amount of time they were delayed in opening earlier today. Normal closing time had been 10 p.m. Some poll districts, however, didn't open for an hour or even two hours. Lowenstein backers again charging such polling irregularities as having poll watchers thrown out, urged that the polls be kept open in all 25 districts. Congressman Rooney supporters also claim voting irregularities that hampered those who wanted to cast ballots for Rooney. According to a Lowenstein spokesman, 25 polling places open one to two hours late. And so to follow the court order, a final vote tally will not be available until the early morning hours. Bob Brady at WR is at the Rooney headquarters, and he has this report on the early return. Confidence reigns supreme here at Rooney headquarters. The first results trickle in. Ken Negrin, Rooney's campaign coordinator, admitting Greenpoint as Rooney's stronghold, announces figures showing Rooney holding a 6-to-1 margin so far over Lowenstein. That other strong Rooney districts are giving Rooney more votes than last time. That Lowenstein is not getting as much support as last election in his own stronghold. At the moment, they tell us, they're leading overall in the entire congressional district by a 3-to-2 margin. Rooney himself put in an...